Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Did you bring your Bibles this evening? Do you love God's Word? Well, I'm glad. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And verse 15. Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. Father, we thank you for your word. As we approach it, we do so with reverence and humility, looking to you and to the ministry of your Holy Spirit to enlarge our hearts, to receive everything that we need, dear Father God, that pertains to life and godliness so that we can be productive, fruit-bearing branches in the vine. We, as an act of our will, are attentive. Our ears are attentive and our hearts are receptive. Our minds are open. We will receive from you this night that we may be changed and transformed, dear Father God, from glory to glory by the Spirit of our God. I thank you for making my tongue as the pen of a ready writer to proclaim the truth of the, of the Word in the power of the Spirit knowing that our faith will stand then not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I'd just like to continue talking about some of the things that I shared on Saturday and, and some Wednesday nights before. Um, I really believe that the Father wants us to have an accurate understanding of what it really means to, to live the life of faith and, and to, to emulate the life of Christ here upon this earth. To really live the way God wants us to live in a, a spiritual house, a house that is a love house, God's domain, a place where God is living in us and through us and really manifesting himself in such a way that not only is he doing a work in our lives as individuals, but he's also doing an accurate work through our lives to reach out to other people and to help them in their walk of faith. I really believe he wants us to understand some things from the word of God that will assist us or help us become better representatives of His on this earth and, and better ministers of His upon this earth. And that really should be our desire. Isn't that true? That we want to, first of all, reflect His image here upon this earth and His character and, and live the, the Christ-like life here upon this earth. But then also, we want to be empowered by His Spirit so that we can impart to others the same thing that God has imparted to us. That's what this life of faith is really all about. It's not about arrogance and putting other people down and putting up spiritual faith facades where we, you know, are, are just talking something that we're not walking or not really living. We want to more or less pull down some of the walls that have been built up, I think, by, I believe, a lot of well-meaning faith teachers. I really believe that well-meaning faith teachers teaching the truths from God's Word, but for whatever reason, sometimes being misrepresented and, and uh, maybe sometimes just not using the, the right character and attitude in their own lives. Whatever the reason. And, and we can all be guilty of that. Let me say it this way. If you're looking for the flawless minister, wait for Jesus to come back. <laughs> Amen. If you're looking for the flawless mar marriage, I mean, where, where you've got two individuals. And, and, you know, very often I see this happening in, in, the Christian, in Christian circles where, well, so-and-so has the perfect marriage. There's no such thing. Are they married to each other? Are they human? Do they breathe? Is there blood flowing through their veins? The only way they could be perfect would be by being dead. Then they wouldn't bother anybody. and Then they wouldn't get on anybody's nerves. As long as they're alive and breathing and human, they have flaws. Can you understand that? I said, can you understand that? If someone's looking for the perfect Christian family, the perfect meaning flawless. You won't find one. It doesn't exist. There's not a perfect husband. There's not a perfect wife. There's not a perfect child. In the sense of being flawless. Do you see that? See, very often that's what we do. We, we look at wrong things and have unrealistic expectations about things and about people. And in so doing, what we do is we develop things that don't really exist. And then there's a shock. So-and-so had a problem in his life. So-and-so had difficulty, can't believe it. You won't believe who's having a marital problem. You won't believe whose child did this and whose child did that. 
But they preach faith, don't they? That's ridiculous. That is an absolutely, it's, it's a myth. I mean, people think like that, but it's wrong type of thinking. We need to get rid of that thinking from our minds. We need to know that every human being alive has flaws and faults. Human frailties and shortcomings. And no matter who the person is, no matter how anointed of God that person is to minister truth, each and every one of us faces difficulties in lives, in our lives, in life. And each and every one of us has to grow and develop in the Christ-like life. I mentioned some names of people on Saturday that, that you know, I think maybe sometimes people get amazed when you do that. But there are those, for the most part, that people would think, well, that person's flawless. Remember, I, I, I used Sheila Walsh and how one individual just said, if I were you, I wouldn't have any problem in life. Well, that's not true. Because when she gave her testimony, she had so many problems, you wouldn't want to be in her shoes. I mean, you would not want to be in her shoes. But where did this person get this image? It's a television image. I saw her on TV. Her hair was fixed. Her makeup was on so nice. And, you know, she was just... Just looking just good, you know, just right. And therefore, I got this picture or this idea that she doesn't go through tests and she doesn't have any trials and she doesn't have any problems in life. But little did people know that just a couple of weeks before, you know, being accepted as the co-host there on the 700 Club, she was having such marital problems and difficulties in her life that she was ready to call the whole thing quits for five years in a state of emotional upheaval that would rock anybody's boat. You know, and then you see these others, and once again, they have beautiful books written. I mean, tremendous, marvelous books with faith, principles, and teachings, and they're beautifully stated and beautifully put. I mean, just absolutely beautifully put and stated. But those same ones have encountered difficulties and tests and trials and situations where they almost gave up. I remember saying that even Brother Hagin at a time not too long ago in his ministry just said, I know, Lord, you said I could have ten more years after my ministry is fulfilled here upon this earth, but you know what? I want to go home. I remember Wigglesworth, before he gave up the ghost, I mean, he was just so involved in helping people and so given to the Lord when it comes to just yielding himself as a vessel of God to help people. He got to the, pl to the point that it's like he left by just breathing out a sigh, saying, when will God's people ever learn? And just took off. Because one came to him and just said, you know, I know you prayed for me. I know you prayed for me. But I still need more help because I didn't get my prayer answered. And after 87 years of just giving himself to really help people, I'm sure he, he, he just kind of felt the frustration of, you know, we need to grow spiritually. We all need to develop spiritually. Well, what is a fault lie? I believe there's so many distractions. There are so many distractions when it comes to the Christian life. I mean, we've read Mark 4, but have we really understood what Jesus was trying to say? The person that really wants to be that spiritual someone, that spiritual giant in faith, the one who really wants to manifest the love of God, the character of God, the power of God, the life of God, the one who wants to emulate the very life of Christ here upon this earth, who gets into the Word of God and begins his quest. I'm going to tell you something. He says the devil's coming. The enemy is coming. But sometimes we, we define these distractions as just being the things of this world and, and, and sin and all that. And we fail to realize that there are other subtle things that come into our lives. Like just believing a little bit wrong. You know, I, I really thank God for the avenue of, of television and radio. But you know what? Little do we recognize and know that by listening to too many Christian programs... The spirit of an individual becomes so confused that it's detrimental to their spiritual health. Because there's so many voices saying so many different things. Do you see that? And I really think what has happened is that we got so accustomed to listening to the so many that we've taken our eyes off the one we should be looking at. And we're beginning to emulate the life of others. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is the one that we are to be looking at. Not doing what someone else did or does. But really getting our eyes back on Jesus. 
and developing faith in Him. Developing His character in our lives. And not going through somebody else. I really believe that if you can call any type of a fast, it would be wonderful to call a fast and just say, all Christians, put down everything except the Bible. And just forget about everything else that's out there. Any tape that you have, any television program that you faithfully listen to, or, or I'm talking about a Christian one, and, and also radio broadcast, and just say, let's just take a week and spend all that time that we would be spending doing all that in our prayer closets, on our knees, with the Word of God. And you know what? I guarantee you, beloved, the Christian life and the faith life and growth process would be accelerated. I mean that. I believe that with all my heart. Because you see, the biggest problem has really been getting the individual to have his own confidence in God. His own personal walk with the Master. That's what the faith life is all about. You knowing Him intimately. You knowing Him personally. You having that confidence that you can just get in His presence and talk with Him as a father. And have the Spirit of God reveal to you the things that you need to know. What you should do at that particular time of need. I really believe that that is lacking and missing in our lives because, as I said, we just substitute having that intimacy with the Father for something else. I listened to this today or I listened to that today and that was feeding me. Like I said, I thank God all that we have learned through these other means. But you know, they're not intended to take the place of intimacy with the Father. We'll all experience and encounter our own, own personal difficulties. Think about it. Personal problems are personal, aren't they? That's why they're called personal problems. It's my problem. It's your problem. Well, we all have a personal problem solver. His name is Jesus. Did you get that? He's our personal problem solver who knows us intimately just as we are, who recognizes our frame, who knows our growth, who knows where we're at spiritually, who will by His Spirit communicate to us exactly what we need to know to escape the temptation or get out of the problem. But very often we're looking you know, in other directions, trying to find a solution or an answer you know, through other means. Now, I'm not saying that God can't speak to us through other ways. He can but it will reinforce, of course, something that we already have on the inside of us. And I appreciate that. But if we use those things and methods to take the place of developing this intimacy with God the Father, then all we're actually doing is just using somebody else's experience in God. And God does not want us to do that. Noah's exempt from having personal problems. We're all going to have them because no one is perfect and you know, no one is exempt. So obviously we're going to encounter our difficulties in life. Well, we need to face that and realize that and then do our own individual part to develop a life of faith in God that will enable us to really acquaint ourselves with the problem solver so that we can rise up and overcome. The solution, in other words, to that woman's problem was not being Sheila Walsh. That would not be the solution to her problem, you see. Like I said, if she were in her shoes for a while, she probably would say, I'd like to be who I was again. Obviously. Because her, her problems were so big. So big. You know, and once again, we talk about men of faith. And I could name some, and I did on Saturday. But there were those who, who encountered for a period of years. I remember I stated one who for almost three years was in a state of emotional upheaval. You know, and another whose child was on drugs. And what I would like to just eradicate is this. Having those personal problems does not make one an inferior Christian. We need to remove that from our line of thinking. Having personal problems and painful problems in life does not make one an inferior Christian at all. Because the storms of life come to each and every one of us. And just like we shouldn't look down upon anyone or condescend and think, you know, or speak down to anyone because, well, I thought you preached faith, and if you preach faith, you shouldn't do this, or you shouldn't have done that. How many of you have read Dodie Osteen's book, uh, Healed of Cancer? And how miraculously and marvelously, you know, God healed her and delivered her from a death sentence. She only had six months to live. 
And she began to apply the principles of faith in God's Word to her own individual life. Now, she had Brother Hagen around her. She had her, her husband, John Osteen. She had Kenneth uh, Copeland uh, around her and, and Fred Price and, and, and others that, of course, they fellowship with and associate with. But T.L. Osborne and others. But she knew within herself that the only way I could be delivered and set free was... You know, through my own personal faith in God, because I was taught in the Word, and I knew, you know, God's Word, and I knew the principles. And she thanked God that she did, because she got down to like 89 pounds. I mean, she was on a deathbed. She had six months to live, and there was really no help, hope or help for her medically speaking whatsoever. So she chose not to, you know, take or follow the, the, the ways of man. She chose to apply the principles of God's Word. Well, in so doing, there were days, I mean, to tell you, she thought she actually threw in a towel. She thought she aborted her life of faith. She thought she gave up the whole thing, lost the battle, and that was it. She was going to die. But that was no indication that she was out of faith, and that was no indication that God was not, not working in her, and the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead was not quickening her mortal body. It was just distractions, all these things coming against her mind to make her think like that. And there were those around her, her husband in particular, who just helped her begin to see that she didn't, you know, throw away her faith and give up her faith. And so she stayed with it. And even though each and every day it seemed like just a, a tremendous struggle, she rose up above it. Now, should anyone look down upon a person because they are encountering that kind of a difficult situation and problem in life? You're a faith, uh, you're a, uh, you're a faith teacher's wife. Dear Lord, I mean, you know, your husband has a tremendously large church and, and preaches the word of faith to all these people. You know, where's your faith at? You know, there are those that would, that would do that. And you know what? I just can't tolerate anything like that. Because that's not, a, uh, that's not the ministry of love and compassion, you know, that, that the Lord has really given to each and every one of us. At all. No one is exempt from experiencing any kind of attack in their body or, or mind or anything like that. And, and therefore, when a person is encountering that, we need to do everything we can to make positive steps toward nursing that person back to spiritual health and wholeness once again. That's what our ministry is all about. And we should give ourselves to the Word of God and to prayer and to the Spirit of God so that we could know how we can help somebody in a situation like that. Beloved, when we put up walls like that, there are those that have problems in life that are very serious and along the way they may need the support of others and the help of others. And the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, in verses 1, 2, 3, right on through 4 there, in the Living Translation, that we are to share the problems and the burdens of other people in the faith. Because if we don't do that, or if we think that we're you know, too proud or too big to stoop to that, to, to do something like that, then we're just fooling ourselves, and we're, really we're a nobody in the sight of God. No, the life of faith is, is, first of all, a life of love and compassion. It is knowing that God loves each and every one of us and has made provisions for all of us. And when we see our brother who is having a difficult time or a problem in life, then what we do is make ourselves available to that person and usable to God so that God can, through our lives, help that person become whole once again in spirit, soul, and body. To nurse that person back to spiritual health. Now, what we do when we have an attitude that, that says, you know, where's your faith? Why didn't you use your faith in this situation or that situation? Or if you had faith, you would never get like that. You know, you're a minister's wife and, you know, you shouldn't be encountering these things. And, you know, what are you doing with your life and blah, blah, blah. When you, when you, when you talk like that, when people have that kind of an attitude, they put up walls and that person will not go to anyone else for support or help. Because they know that they're going to be talked about or looked down at. And we do not want that. I don't want that in this body. I, I guarantee I like to do everything I possibly can to get that message across to people so that these walls can come down and these attitudes can really come down once and for all so that we can really give place to the true ministry of the Spirit of the living God so that love will energize our faith and we can do what is necessary to bind up the brokenhearted. And, and, and bind up those wounds. Heal the broken heart and bind up those wounds. I'll tell you, you got that verse of Scripture right there, but just put your hand there. Real quick, just turn on, right on back to Psalms 147 and verse, I believe it's verse 3. Let's take a look first. Let's start at verse 1. In verse 1 it says, Praise ye the Lord. For it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praises comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem, he gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. It doesn't say he criticizeth the broken in heart. He looks down upon the broken in heart. It says he healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up 
their wounds. And it doesn't matter if you know the principles of faith, if you understand the principles of faith, or you've been exposed to the principles of faith. You still can become broken in heart because of the problems and the difficulties that we face in life. And if that is the case... I want you to know tonight that God is in the business of binding up the wounds and and healing the brokenhearted. And because he is beloved, if we're to walk as he walked, if we're to live as he lived, if we're to do the works of Jesus, if we are to emulate his life here upon this earth, then our responsibility is to listen to the words of people, listen to what they are saying, and discover and find out that there's a problem in that person's life. And if you know that, then just offer prayer, offer assistance, and let that person know that I'm, help, I'm here to help you. I make myself available to you. I want to be usable to God. I want to be available to man. I want to help you in any way I possibly can to help nurse you back to spiritual health and wholeness once again. If we would, would do that and let everybody get that message from us, beloved, it wouldn't be very long before I believe the body would mature in such a way that would be able to do the work of the ministry right here among ourselves, right here among us. The whole body providing what is necessary so that we can all grow up into that place that he wants us to grow into. Instead of putting up walls that would divide and keep us away from approaching each other and helping each other, we would open up the, the, the door to ministry so that we can minister effectively one to the other to help each other. And that's what the prayer of agreement is all about. Standing with somebody. And if they begin to waver because of the difficult situation that they are encountering, you can offer that assistance that they need to rise up once again. To be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. But you can also give a listening ear to understand and to know what a person is saying on the inside. See, and to communicate. And I used, uh, I believe, something that's so very important. That is, when we use our words to communicate truth, it does not necessarily mean that we're speaking doubt and unbelief. And you recall the Roman centurion and how he came to Jesus and said, and said, and said, with the words of his mouth, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And you know what Jesus said about that man? He didn't say you're full of doubt and unbelief and lack faith. What did he say? I have not found so great faith in all of Israel. Now, was that a confession of doubt and unbelief? No, it was using words to communicate what? Truth. My servant is sick, lying at home, sick of the palsy. He's sick. I think there was a time, you know, when... You know, someone would ask questions like, what do I do if my child is at home and and I have to write a note to the school and tell them what the problem was? What do I say? They were sick. Isn't that speaking sickness upon them? No, that's communicating a truth. My child was sick. But then you see, you can follow up with that. My child was sick. But I applied the principles of God's word to it and praise God, my child is now whole. (laughs) Amen. I mean, doesn't that make it just a whole lot easier? Absolutely. So words can also be used to communicate truth and facts. You know, when that doctor told me my BJ has an inner ear infection, I said, I appreciate, you know, your your profession. I appreciate all that you've done in, 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 you know, giving of your time. And I understand what you're saying to me. I didn't deny the reality of it. My son had an inner ear infection. But I just responded with this. I will pray for him and my father will heal him. So it was not wrong to say BJ had an inner ear infection. Those words communicate truth. But thank God, uh, the Roman centurion, when Jesus says, I will come and heal him, he said, not so. No, he says, all you've got to do is just speak the word because I'm a... I have men under me, and I speak to one and say go, and goes and one do this, and he doeth it, and, and all that. And he said, Jesus looked at him and said, he understood authority. He said, I've not found so great faith in all of Israel. So he used his word to communicate a truth, but he also then spoke out words of faith that were effective in doing what? He said, go thy way, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. So you see, that's how faith really operates. Let's make note of some of these things. What the life of faith is and what the life of faith is not. Number one, what the life of faith is not. Going back to Romans chapter 12 there in verse 15. What the life of faith is not. Faith, the life of faith is not having a magical formula or a magical wand that we wave over problems. And I think there were many who had that perception of the life of faith. That all you've got to do is just wave a magical wand over a problem and it would go away. That is not true. One, you know, sometimes people will come in and, and want to talk and, 
and people who would just find out about the church. And I made a statement to this effect that if you see someone out there who's, who's having a difficulty or a struggle or a problem in life, and it may be a serious one, I advise people, don't say, if you'll just start coming to our church or if you'll just, let me introduce you to the pastor or whatever. Don't leave them with the impression that I can help them or that the church is going to meet their need for them. Because what we do is take their eyes off of Jesus. We need to, as ministers of the gospel, be effective in pointing that individual back to Jesus. Not to the church and not to someone like me or any other person. Let them know that, look, Jesus is the problem solver and he is the solution to your problem. And then as you begin to reveal truth, and then if the subject comes up, well, where did you learn? Or how do you, you know, then fine. If you're, you're welcome to go to a church where you can learn about the Word of God and all that. But Jesus is your problem solver. Because some will come in and they have this idea that if they walk into my office, they're going to walk out with a miracle. And this has happened countless times. You know, where someone walk in and then walk out in disgust and disappointment because I thought. What did, what did Naaman the leper say? I thought. And they thought that I was just going to do something. Maybe stand up and wave my hands you know, like, like he wanted the, the prophet to do. And, and maybe get out a wand I have in my drawer, you know, in front of him. And just zap and that's it. And then something would happen and they would walk out with no responsibility on their part and, and whatnot. But that's not true. And we don't want to leave the impression that this life of faith is like waving a magic wand over, you know, a situation and it's going to go away. No, you can be effective in taking that person and leading him or her to the problem solver who is Jesus. Number two, it is not having an Aladdin's lamp. I think some have this idea that it's having an Aladdin's lamp. You know, you get this, you find it in the bushes somewhere, you pick it up and you rub that thing and a genie pops out and when he pops out, he says, I'm going to grant you three wishes, you know, and your first wishes, I wish I had a million wishes, you know. So you can just have a million wishes and just get anything you want. That's not what it is. That's a wrong perception of what the life of faith is all about. It's not magical. It's not having a genie come and just, you know, at our beck and call, grant us a wish, and instantaneously it's going to manifest itself. It is not what so many have named it. Name it and claim it. Just name what you want and claim what you want, and you've got it. Again, that is a misunderstanding. It's a lack of perception when it comes to what the life of faith is all about. It's also not getting... God involved with our plans. The life of faith is not getting God involved with our plans. The life of faith is getting God, getting involved with God's plans for our life. It's not getting God just involved with what I want to do in my life and with my life. It is me getting involved with God's plans for my life. That's what the life of faith is all about. In other words, I, you know, I have all these principles and formulas that I, that I know. And if I'll just take those principles and formulas and, and get God to do what I want Him to do for me, then everything's going to be okay because this is what I want. Well, did you know that we don't always want the right things for our lives? And our plans are not always going to be successful because God, for see, He sees the future. He knows what's going to take place down the road. So He knows, look, that's not going to pan out. So let me be the pilot. Let me be in control of your life. Let me be the one to unveil to you what you need to know and what you need to do. Get me involved in your life, but let me be the one who plans out your life. You know, we know that when God made us fearfully and wonderfully, that He also ordained a plan for our lives. He has the blueprints already drawn up, and He wants to express that to us and reveal that to us so that we can flow with it and go with it and have a glorious life here on this earth. But once again, if we have the idea that I know these faith principles and formulas now, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write out some things that I want for my life, and I want God to bless it. No, God does not bless our plans. God's plans bless our lives. And if we'll get it straight, beloved, then we'll have God's blessing in our lives. And I'll tell you what, you'll be blessed and that blessing inside you and joy will produce happiness in your life. Another thing that it's not, and sometimes by seeing what it's not, it helps us to better see what it is. It's, it's not manipulating God with our words. And that's what I was trying to express there. It's not manipulating God. I think sometimes, and again, not intentionally, 
that we mishear a little bit of the message and we think that we can use words to manipulate God. And if we just say it long enough, if we say long enough with the stripes I'm healed, if we say long enough, you know, go save that person or do this or do that, that we can manipulate God into doing something. Beloved, let's know this. God is not manipulated by anyone's words. Words cannot manipulate God and we have to understand that. Again, we've got to let God be in control of a situation. We've got to align ourselves with Him and then be open to, to hearing Him, to knowing Him, and then having Him reveal to us what we are to do. Once again, I use Naaman. You know, there he was. He thought he would be able to, what, just receive it the way he wanted it to be received. Well, it's just not that way. And I'm sure the prophet could have gone forth and just says, well, this is the way I'm going to do it, and been wrong. No, there's a need. God and allow Him to speak to our hearts by His Spirit. We have the instruction. We have the words of life, but they must become alive to us by the Spirit. It's not the letter of the law, for that will kill. But it's the Spirit of the Word that gives life. So it's not just going about thinking, if I say it a million times, with His tribes I'm healed, then healing is going to make, be made manifest. No. We've got to be open to listen to what God would say for, to us to do so that the door of healing can be open. It may not be that our faith is lacking at all. It may be the area of obedience. And there you go, you know, confessing with the stripes I'm healed a, a million times, really to no avail because that's not where the problem lies. The problem lies in obedience. I know there are those that were disobedient to God and were not getting healed. But when they got obedient to God, then they got healed. So it wasn't a lacking of faith on their part. It was a matter of obedience. Or we could say disobedience, not obeying God and doing what God would have them to do. One fellow, you know, he wasn't paying his tithes. And God spoke to his heart and said, if you start paying your tithes, he says, that will open the door to blessing. There's a blessing that rests upon the tither. And in that case, the man got healed. So it wasn't a lack of faith and not believing that God could or would heal him. It was a matter of what? Obedience. See? So we can't manipulate God with our words. It involves a whole lot more than that. And if we think that all we're going to do is go around and just speak out words when really things are lacking or something else is wrong within our lives, then you see, we, we have a wrong perception of it. So it's not manipulating God with our words. It's opening up our lives to Him, letting Him control, be in control. You say, well, then how do we use our words? Why do we speak and confess the word over and over again? Why? To, to, to develop. To develop. That's how. It's like a spiritual exercise. Not to manipulate, but to develop. That's more for our benefit, not for God's. Our benefit, we need to hear it over and over again because that's how faith comes to our lives. See? But when our heart is right, we're open. And as we're being open and, and stay open, then God you know, will lead us and direct us and guide us. And again, I touched on this a little bit. It's not being flawless either. Let's realize that the life of faith is not being flawless. There are those who will probably depart from, who have departed from this life prematurely, who will continue to depart from this life prematurely. You know, and we may be among them. I'm not speaking that or unbelief. What I'm saying is this. The principles of God's word have to be followed and obeyed by the child of God. But God's people are not flawless. They're not flawless. We're capable of error and making mistakes and doing wrong and, and, and you know, falling, coming short of the glory of God in, in many different areas of life. But that doesn't take away from the truth of the message. Just because sister so-and-so didn't make it all the way and we say died prematurely because they were only 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. People are not flawless. I remember John G. Lake one time driving, up a, 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 driving on a highway up a, up a steep hill, a, a semi-truck coming down, and he's on the right-hand side, and, and right off to the right there, there's, just, there's a, you know, a guard, there's a rail on the side there, and, and over is a cliff, and you drop about 200 feet, and we're talking about a narrow place, and a semi's coming down this way, and he's going up that way, he doesn't see it, it's coming around a bend, and all of a sudden, God speaks to his heart and said, just, you know, swerve over to the left, and that, which is ridiculous. Why would you swerve way over to the left, cross that lane, go over to the other side? There was more room on that side. And so he did. And the moment he did and got on that side, then a semi-truck jackknife came down, went straight on down there. And if he was there on that road at that moment of time, he would have been 200 feet down, probably plummeting to his death. And all it was was not a matter of sin or not confessing. A spontaneous reaction to the voice that he was accustomed to hearing. And see, if he didn't do it at that moment, it didn't mean that he is an inferior Christian. It just means that God's in that realm, we're in this realm, and sometimes it's hard for us to really discern. Is that the voice of the Lord or is that just something I think I should do, you know, that I'm perceiving that I should do? Or what, you know, what is this? And, and if sometimes we wait too late... Then something like that happens. And I think many times when someone says, well, why did so-and-so die or why did this happen or why did that happen? 
I don't know what your conviction is about this, but personally, I, I really believe that God is always attempting to warn us about things. But we're too busy. And that's the truth. See, if we were honest with ourselves, then we would realize these things. For the most part, God wants to warn us even about things down the road somewhere. But are we too busy? Are we too caught up with everyday life and today that we don't really listen to what he's saying to us about tomorrow? It's also not, and I, I want to get this one really across, it's not being in competition with one another. You know, I just love God's people, but when I get around somebody who has to outdo somebody else in God, it almost can become nauseating. I, I mean, really, really. It's not being in competition with somebody. There are some that if you walk up to that person and you say, you know what, I led somebody to the Lord today. They'll say, well, I led two. I mean that. I led two. Well, you know, I, I just want to thank God because he, he just blessed our finances this week. You know, I just, I'm just rejoicing. I mean, they may have opened up the conversation. You know, well, brother, you, you know, how's everything going? And I'm just rejoicing in God. Well, what are you rejoicing about? Let me rejoice with you. I'm rejoicing because God met a financial need in our lives. And I'm just, you know, I'm just thankful. Well, well what did he do for you? Well, we needed $100 to pay this bill or we needed this for that. And we believe God and, and, and stood on Mark 11, 23 and 24. And we put those principles into motion. And, and God came through and blessed it. And we're just so thankful to him rejoicing. And right off, I'm telling you what, they believe God for 150 and they believe God for 200. And it's like a competitive type thing. They have got to do something. Or they're going to believe God for 150. They, they, they can't follow Romans 12.15. Look at what Romans 12.15 says. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. It doesn't say outdo them that rejoice. So they can rejoice with you. It says rejoice with them that do rejoice. But notice the next part. Oh, this isn't a faith statement, is it? Weep with them that weep. There isn't anything, again, that is as distasteful as someone who is... I'm talking about someone who is being crushed by the circumstances of life. Somebody who is just in a situation of emotional upheaval and their lives are really being crushed at that moment of time. And it doesn't matter how many faith principles they know or have acted on in the past. Today is today. Yesterday is gone. Today is today. And they're being crushed by life's problems. Okay? And instead of weeping with those that weep, someone comes along and where's your faith at? And begins giving them all this teaching on praise God in your problem. What about, first of all, weeping with those that weep? What about taking part in some of this and really letting your heart relate to that person? I remember John G. Lake. One time where an individual was just being destroyed with cancer. I mean, this life was just being wasted away to nothing. Destroyed. And I'll tell you, he had it in him to really, in compassion, minister to this person. And of course, he's laid hands on multitudes of people. They were healed by the power of God through his life. But in this particular situation, he didn't go up to this person... Where's your faith? Don't you know this? And don't you know that? And don't you know all these different things? And try to use that type of mentality with somebody who was hurting. You know, one said that only the army of the Lord is where you'll find people kicking those that have been injured in battle. Others where they get injured in battle, immediately many go to their attention to help to nurse them back to physical health. Isn't that true? Absolutely. Because they know that life is valuable. And so they want to help out. But in the army of the Lord, why is it when someone is in that state or position where they're crushed emotionally, that so many have this kind of an attitude and they come across as saying, well, you know, they want to rejoice or they want to, to speak forth words of faith. And that has its place and I'm going to get around to that eventually. But what about compassion at that moment when a person is grieving? And one translation says, grieve with those that grieve. In other words, identify with that problem. And as he tried day after day ministering, nothing successfully, one day he was walking back to where the person was and it just hit him. I mean, it just hit him. He really began to, from his heart, see 
the torment that this child of God was in. It so hit his spirit that compassion welled up on the inside of him. Went inside that house, took that person in his arms, held him to his chest, and just began to love that person and weep. There was no prayer whatsoever. The love and compassion that began to flow out of that man's life went into that person's life. And that person was totally healed and set free. It wasn't a a rebuke. It wasn't a prayer for healing in the name of Jesus. It was compassion. And you know what? Jesus ministered to the leper with the same compassion. The leper was touched by Jesus. And if we could even take time to expound on that touch, and we've talked about it somewhat before, how much that one touch meant to that man's life, not just with his physical suffering, but his emotional suffering because he was deprived and denied seeing and touching his family, his own wife and kids, for so many years. The only touch that he had was probably a rat eating away his fingers and nose and toes as he was separated from from all society, unable to touch anyone. The only time he saw his family was when they brought food and left it at a distance and then had to go away. Couldn't touch anybody unclean. And finally on that great day, When Jesus had compassion. See, Jesus was moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him. Not only was there a physical healing, but there was also an emotional restoration that took place. I can only imagine that when Jesus touched him and he became whole once again, and that restoration and cleansing means he was whole in, 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 in all departments of his being. His emotions were also restored. You can't even imagine not being able to hug your wife or hug your children and being denied that and deprived that and just how terrible it really is. You know, it's one thing that when they're out of sight and away in another state somewhere or working in another city somewhere and they're gone and you know that you have, the, you know, the, the ability to do that at a given time. But to know that you can never touch them again for the rest of your life because you wouldn't want them to be contaminated with that and, you know, and, and contract it. Beloved, this man was destroyed emotionally, but Jesus touched him. See, the life of faith is the touch of compassion. That's what it's all about. And when he did, he was restored in all, all departments of his being. I mean, to tell you, I can only imagine what went through him. I could hug my wife again. I could hug and kiss my kids again. But he still couldn't do that right away. He had to go show, show himself to the priest, and then he had to come back. When he was pronounced whole by the priest, which took time and days, then he can finally go back to his family. No, Jesus wasn't looking down on anybody. Jesus had compassion. He rejoiced with those that rejoiced, and he wept with those who wept. And as a result, the character of God, the life of God, was so flowing through him, he identified with the person's problem. And when he did, I mean to tell you, that compassion just rose up on the inside of him. And that's what it means to share one another's problems. Not to wallow in self-pity. We're not talking about that. We're talking about really ministering compassion and love to a person, recognizing that they are really hurting, but letting that love rise up on the inside of you and and, and out of that, just pour yourself into that person's life. Because, see, you're in a position, if you're not encountering that difficulty or that problem in life, then in spirit, soul, and body, you're in a position where you can be of assistance and help and support to that person. And so you yield to that and, and you just allow it to flow out of you and it flows into that person. And it helps that person to become restored and whole once again. So it's not being in competition with one another, most definitely. It's not trying to outdo one another in faith to see if we can believe God for more things. It's not condescending and looking down upon somebody who doesn't have the victory today. It's listening to those words that are being used to communicate a problem And then as a good physician would, diagnosing it and doing something about it. It may not even always be going to the person and saying, you know, I know you have a problem. It may be going to the prayer closet on your knees and saying, Father, I know so-and-so has a problem. And therefore, I make myself usable to you and available to them. I will pray for them. Through me, do whatever you like. And then whatever, you know, becomes of that, let it become. Also, 
It's not developing an attitude of spiritual pride or arrogance. That's not what the life of faith is all about. And again, we see this happening too often as far as I'm concerned. I don't like to hear people calling others idiots or they're stupid or anything like that. Because I, I, as far as I'm concerned, there's no room for arrogance and pride and a condescending attitude when it comes to the people of God. I really believe that each and every one of us really desires to learn and be taught and to know the things of God. And you know what? I feel, I feel this, that if I have learned a principle that can be helpful to somebody else, I'm not going to develop an attitude of pride and arrogance because I know it and you don't. No. And if there are others that are out there within the body of Christ that are doing all that they know to do to advance in the kingdom of God, I'm also not going to belittle that. They may not be spirit-filled people, and, and, and we, you know, people who are would think, well, you know, we got the Holy Ghost. That's wrong, a wrong type of attitude. We should never maintain that kind of an attitude. They are God's people. God loves them. Jesus died for them, and they believe on His blood for salvation, and we thank God for that. If we have something more that we can offer to them, then maintain the right type of attitude of heart and mind so that you can... Be in a position that God can use you to share that truth with that other person. But we don't condescend and develop a type of attitude that is of arrogance and spiritual pride that I know something that you don't know. Or I operate in some things that you don't. As a matter of fact, I like to do it this way. Even if I know that I have ex experienced miracles and, and manifestations of the power of God along those lines... We don't want to even brag on things like that or say things like that. They, at that point, they may not be ready to hear that because that might even put them down some more. Diagnose their case and communicate and, and interact with that person. And first of all, begin the nurturing process. Because do you know what oftentimes happens when we do that? And that's why you don't hear me giving a whole lot of testimonies. I think maybe sometimes people wonder, why isn't the pastor using more personal testimonies about how God has produced victories in his life? I know that kind of teaching does not produce faith. Sharing personal uh, experiences like that from a pulpit all the time does not produce faith in anyone. You know what it does? It makes you dependent on the person. You see, you watch that television preacher and minister and, and hear all the good in what you do is, oh, they got it all together, my, my goodness. And then people look to that person, if I can just be like that. No. I'd rather let you know, you know what? You've got potential. God loves you just the way you are and you, your spirit life. You ready for this one? 2 Peter 1.3 says that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power has given us you ready for this? Matter of fact, we've got to turn to that. That's too good just to quote. That pertain to life and godliness. He has given us everything. Everybody say this. He has given me personally everything I need to be godly in life. 2 Peter 1 and 3. For His divine power, I'm reading from the Amplified, has bestowed upon us all things that are requisite and suited to life and godliness through the full personal knowledge of Him who called us by and to His own glory and excellence or virtue. And what that means is that God has made a deposit in our hearts through the divine nature and He has supplied everything that we need in life. The potential is unlimited. It's all on the inside of us. As, a, as an accurate minister, an effective minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is our responsibility to let that person know, no matter where they're at, let them know. Are you born again? Yes. I want you to know that God has made a deposit in you. And you have within your spirit life all that you need. To be godly in this life. God has given you all the tools, all the equipment. It's there on the inside of you. He's made that deposit. And just begin to help them draw from that the resources that God has put in. And cultivate those things and develop those things. It's not depending on somebody else is what I'm saying. We can help carry individuals to a certain degree. 
you know, certain place in life when they're young babes, bona fide baby Christians. But ultimately, our objective should be to really help someone realize that God made a deposit inside you. You have all that you need inside you right now to be successful in life and godly in life. That's what that scripture is saying. God has given us, through His divine power, all that we need. And we want to draw our attention to that. And so that we know inside we have what is needed. And show them that the, that the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, if He could resurrect Christ, He can resurrect our family unity. If He resurrected Christ, He could restore the human emotion. If He resurrected Christ. See, and how does He do it? He's in you right now. And draw their attention to that. It's on the inside of you. Not to me. Or anybody else. Point them to Jesus and to the God that's on the inside of them. And another thing I want to say that it's not, if I may. The life of faith is not mimicking someone else's experience in God. It is not mimicking someone else's experience in God or following or copying someone else's experience in God. You can always know when someone is following someone else and not really the Lord, when they start doing the fad thing. When they start doing what is happening. And all right, let me illustrate. And, and I use this on Saturday. I'll just repeat it again. Here's someone who, who's, who says he's laid his hands on bread and I'll never eat another piece of bread in my life. And then you hear countless Christians coming up to you and reiterating that point or condemning you because, oh, you're still eating that stuff. I got news for the world. I'll eat pizza for the rest of my life. And settle that right now forever. And I'm not going to be convicted by a man because my life is not based on what someone else does. When it comes to sugar. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be moderation. I didn't say immoderately. I said moderately. I'll eat it for the rest of my life. In moderation. And when it comes to sugar. Well, you know, no one. If you have sugar and if you eat potatoes and you have white flour and bread and white bread and all this stuff. All of a sudden, everybody's catching on to this wave. But where do they get that? Who do they get that from? And you know that for the likes of it, it just always amazes me that they go right over the scriptures that says everything is to be received with thanksgiving and prayer. And everything is sanctified with thanksgiving and prayer. Go right over the scriptures and make a doctrine of their own. If any person has a personal conviction that they will never eat bread again, they should never whisper it from the pulpit. Because that's their own personal conviction. And that's how it should be. We have a personal relationship with God. Don't follow somebody else. And I'll go as far as to say, don't follow me. I'm not here to put my convictions on you or anyone else. That's why I say we should preach the word, live our convictions. If I hold the one conviction and, and you don't, I'm not trying to put my conviction on you or anybody else. And are you ready for this? It's when we get our eyes off of everybody else and what they're doing and get our eyes on Jesus that individually we'll be blessed and we'll grow. We'll promote our spiritual growth and development. When I said there are distractions and some things that are very subtle, these are the subtle things I'm talking about. You know, there are more that can quote you chapter and verse in all the books that talk about dieting than they could quote scriptures in the Bible. I mean that. You say, is there anything wrong with dieting? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If you want to have a, you know, a, a regular, a good, balanced diet, that's marvelous. That's wonderful. But when you start preaching to others and, 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 and using your own convictions and telling people not to do this and not to do that, it's not right. I think Paul made that clear in Romans chapter 14 when he said, if you don't eat meat, that's fine. If you do eat meat, that's fine. Don't judge one another. But here's my point. The reason why they weren't doing it, beloved, was because brother so-and-so wasn't doing it. And that's wrong. That's making an idol out of someone. Don't follow someone that closely. No matter who that person really is. No matter who it is. Don't do it at all. 
You know, I've actually had the audacity to say that I dis- disagreed with a couple of things that Brother Hagin said. And you thought the roof was going to cave in because the way it was conveyed to me was not the way that Brother Hagin really said it. And I said, if he said it that way, I disagree with it. And right off, some people start saying, well, pastor doesn't believe in Brother Hagin teaches anymore. <laughs> well, I got news for everybody. I wasn't following Brother Hagin in the first place. I was following Jesus. I just thank God that through Brother Hagin's ministry, I, got, you know, I was able to, to, to find some good books and materials and some truth that helped me as I put this first place in my life. So what I'm saying is I'm not you know, following somebody so closely that I don't have a personal relationship with, with Jesus Christ myself. And I'm not open to what the Holy Ghost would tell me to do. And even if he tells me to do something that I really strongly believe that someone else disagrees with, you know, I'm going to go with that until I, I know otherwise, until he, he deals with me personally. But I'm not going to push that conviction on you. I'd never do that. You know, that would just be something personal to me. When someone tells you, and I mean, and there are those that would just in preach, and this is why, again, don't follow or mimic somebody else. Someone says, I got so frustrated with that television set, I put the... You know, sledgehammer right on through it, threw it out the window, and then preaches from the pulpit that you're going to go to hell if you, if you watch a television set. You know, if you watch TV and, and all that stuff. And everybody start, you know, under this conviction. But it wasn't conviction. It was condemnation produced by somebody else and what that person was doing. The life of faith isn't about that. You know, if God is speaking to your heart by His Spirit and says, turn that, that station off or, or don't watch that program or don't do this and that, you know what? Then listen to Him. That's what the life of faith is all about. I'll go a step further. You know, you don't have a Christmas tree in your house. That's, that's wonderful. You know, but don't look down upon somebody who does. See, that's not what the life of faith is all about. Because there will be those that will do it, but they're just doing it because someone told them that it's wrong to have a Christmas tree in their house. And they gave them an Old Testament scripture. Well, they forgot to tell them that the Old Testament scripture says they took it and they carved it. And they put, plated it with gold and silver and bowed down and worshipped it, too. You know, but why go and do all these different things? Well, you know, I don't know about you, but I'd rather be a little bit more positive than negative. I like to use things that can glorify God and magnify God. And don't look at all the negative sides of things, but look at the positive sides of things. Do you know what I mean by that? Look at the positive sides of things. When a person is, is, is her, their heart is open during the Christmas season... Don't, don't preach your conviction on a Christmas tree. And they just came into the family of God and pulled the rug out from beneath them and make them feel like as though that they're the worst thing now, they're the worst Christian that's ever just got saved because they have a Christmas tree in their house. That's so wrong. What does a Christmas tree got to do with heaven and the Holy Ghost and the Word of God anyhow? Don't live somebody else's experience. Don't live somebody else's convictions. If they believe that way, if they want, that's all right, that's okay. Give someone time to grow and develop. If down the road somewhere, ten years later, they fail, what's the use of having a Christmas tree in the house? It doesn't mean anything anyhow. Then fine, get rid of it. But give opportunity for people to grow and develop in God is, is all I'm trying to say. Because believe me, you start copying and mimicking somebody else, you know what? You can also copy their mistakes, number one. But I'll tell you something else. You can also be stepping out on water that you have not tested yet. And what I mean by that is... So-and-so threw their medicine away. Someone threw my medicine away. And you might die where so-and-so didn't. Why? Because we're all at different levels of growth and development. We can't just present this in such a way that it's ironclad. This is what you do. We don't do that. Even if you really know in your heart this is the right thing to do, this is the way you go, at least let God be God in that person's life and let Him direct them into that. I walked with, with believers when I worked out in the mill. This one believer, bless his, this is a wonderful, beautiful child of God. But this man would sit there and smoke and sit there and chew and sit there and cuss. I didn't beat that man over the head and condemn him and look down upon him. I just sat back and watched him and, and just let it go. Loved him as a brother. Jesus is his Lord, not me. And I waited long enough until one day the Holy Ghost just said, now it's time to just to share with this brother a little bit about cleaning up his language. (laughs) So I waited until that time and and we just, you know, had a little talk, real nice. Spirit of what? Spirit of what? Meekness. Considering yourself, lest ye also fall. Shared it with him. 
wasn't my conviction. He says, you know, God's been dealing with me. You read, did you hear that? God's been dealing with me. I said, well, I'm just to reinforce the fact that he has been dealing with you and shared that with me. You know, and, and, and stopped right then. So I just was so unaware of it. I was just so used to this mill talk down here. I did nothing about it. I'm just saying, beloved, give room for people to grow and develop. And not only in these things, but also in their faith life. Many are not ready to throw away their medication. Many are not ready to just believe God for their finances totally in, in all these different things. It's a life of growth and development. This is what life, the life of faith is not. And so... From this point, we'll just begin to go into some positive things and start finding out what the life of faith really is all about so that we can all become more effective ministers of the gospel. And I believe it will also help us individually to get our lives straightened out and, and more productive. Amen. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.